Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the power of your word. God, we thank you that your word is alive and it is active. God, we thank you that your word is something that we can trust and stand firm upon in the uncertainty of the times in which we live. God, we thank you that you will give us exactly what we need this morning through your word. Lord, we thank you for the promise that your word does not come back void. And so, God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would use your spirit to open our hearts, and that you would give us everything that we need for today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a whirlwind the last few weeks with social distancing and travel restrictions, school cancellations, jobs that have been negatively impacted. We've had a shortage of even toilet paper. There have been sicknesses and even deaths. We are truly living in a period of time in which we will never forget. And yet, because of that, it's creating fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of what tomorrow will bring. We're all wondering where this global pandemic is headed and what are the implications for our lives, for our health, for our economy, for even our relationships. And through the midst of all of this, I'm just wondering, just as your pastor, how you're doing spiritually, how your, your heart is doing. I so wish that I could sit with you face-to-face in person and just ask you a couple of questions about how your relationship with God is doing right now. In fact, if I were face-to-face in person with you, I would ask you the following two questions. I would ask you, what is the anchor that you are holding on to in the midst of this storm? And then secondly, I would ask you, how are you using that anchor right now in order to provide stability during this time? See, it's one thing to have an anchor, but it's another thing to know how to use it and for that anchor to be effective in your life. I've been thinking a lot about anchors and how to use them. In fact, I discovered that uh, in and around small harbors, when there is uh, an incoming storm, it's really important to know how to use your anchor. In fact, what will happen in small harbors when there is an incoming storm, all kinds of boats will start to crowd that harbor. And it gets so crowded that oftentimes the harbor master will send out a forerunner or sometimes called an anchor runner. And that smaller boat will go out and it will meet those larger boats. And that anchor runner will take the anchor of large boats and it will drop it in shallower and rockier harbors so that it provides a safe haven for even those large boats. See, it's one thing to have an anchor, but it's another thing to know how to use that anchor in order for it to be effective. And I think that's a really good picture for us as Christians. See, Hebrews 6, verse 19 and 20 explicitly tells us who our anchor is and where our hope should be found. It says that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. See, no matter what the storm is, God and the truth that he provides is a type of anchor for our souls that is steadfast and sure. That God, through being our anchor, is the refuge in the midst of the storm. 
And yet the challenge is, is that if you're a Christian or if you've been around Christianity for some time, you know that God and the truth that he provides is the anchor. The challenge, though, is knowing how to use that anchor in the midst of the storm. And that's exactly what Romans 8, our passage this morning, will help us to know how to do, how to use the anchor of God in the storms of life. In fact, in verses 18 through 25, Paul provides four different types of anchors of truth that help us in the midst of the storms of life. Let me point out each of these. Number one, the anchor of truth is that the future glory is more valuable than our present sufferings from verse 18. See, what you need to know about this passage is that Paul is telling us that hardship is worth it. What these verses are meant to do is that they're meant to help us persevere and stand firm so that we don't throw away the anchor of truth. And Paul does this by showing us why suffering is worth it. If you notice in verse 18, it begins with the word for. This is an important word. In fact, Paul uses this word six different times throughout this passage. Paul's using this word for because He's building a case for how and why suffering can be used to deepen our trust in God. And the word for in verse 18 is being used to tie us directly back to verse 17. And in verse 17, Paul has just explained that as children of God, we are actually co-heirs with Christ, which means that we will receive glory with him in heaven, but we will also suffer with him now in the present And that's helpful because Paul is telling us that the suffering that we experience as believers in this world is not random, that it's not irregular. In fact, we should expect it, and this entire passage explains why. And if you look at verse 18, verse 18 really serves as the thesis statement for this entire passage. It contains the central truth that helps us as Christians know how to go through suffering. Look at it with me. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Notice what Paul is saying here. He's saying that the glory of what is received in the future is far greater than what is lost through the sufferings right now in the present. In other words, Paul is saying that when you weigh the future worth of glory in comparison to our perceived value of suffering, there is no contest. That that is the point of verse 18. In fact, the point of this entire passage. The question is, is whether or not you and I see and understand and embrace the value difference. See, Paul in this passage is arguing for a specific way of thinking about suffering. In fact, that's why he says in verse 18, for I consider. He doesn't say for I feel. He says for I consider. This word consider can mean to think about something. It means to to hold a a mental record. So Paul is, is not saying whether or not we feel like this is true, but whether or not we're doing the spiritual math and we see the value that he's presenting in verse 18. I think that Paul being concerned about how we consider or how we think about suffering is really important 
Because especially in the midst of suffering, what tends to rise to the surface are our emotions and our feelings. That our feelings want to, uh, to take charge, to start to, to command how it is that we're going to respond to suffering. And yet what I think this verse is telling us and what we've said so many times is that feelings are real, but they cannot be authoritative. That's been a, a very popular mantra in the Beals household over the last couple of weeks, that your feelings are real, but they cannot be authoritative. In other words, your feelings and your emotions are a natural response to what's happening, but they cannot dictate how you respond to suffering and how you live in the midst of suffering. See, there's a danger when we trust our emotions and we trust our feelings because they're constantly changing. I know for me in my personal life over the last couple of weeks, I have experienced really the, the full range of emotions I've gone from being filled with fear to being filled with confidence, being filled with worry to being uh, optimistic, being filled with anxiety to being level-headed. What you and I need is a more firm foundation to stand upon in the midst of suffering, in the midst of, of of a changing world, and in the midst of even our own emotions changing. And Paul is calling us to consider the truth about who God actually is. That's why Paul is emphasizing how you and I think and consider about suffering and what our perspective about suffering should be. In fact, the perspective that Paul is offering about suffering here is one in which is weighing what's coming in the future as more valuable than what we are experiencing right now in the present. And that's true, Paul says, because of this future glory. Now, the word glory here relates to everything that God is, everything that he's done, everything that he's accomplished in and through Jesus. That glory is what God is filled with. Glory is is what motivates God to doing what he does. In fact, I've heard it said before that that the glory of God is just God putting on display his infinite worth and his immense beauty for us to see and for us to experience. And what Paul is saying here is that glory, all that God is, is something that you and I will experience in the future in fullness. But notice the challenge in this verse. See, the challenge that, that Paul is laying before us is for us to do the spiritual math, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. That what he's saying is is for us to determine what is truly more valuable in our hearts and to fill our hearts with whatever is more valuable. And if you take this season right now that you and I are going through, the the season of, of the coronavirus, what Paul is saying for us to do is to take the glory of God the immense beauty of God, all that God is that we will experience in full in the future and to compare it to the present suffering that you and I are experiencing right now, whatever that is for you, whether that is sickness or social distancing or job loss or the fear of the unknown. And what Paul is asking us to do is to weigh that out and to see that the beauty and the glory of God is so much more valuable 
than the present sufferings that we are experiencing. And so therefore, we are to fill our hearts with God, to not fill our hearts with the present sufferings and all that comes with it, with the fear and the anxiety and the worry. And so this anchor truth, number one, is to fill our hearts with the glory of God. Anchor truth number two here is that suffering is part of God's unfolding plan and purposes. We see in verses 19 through 22 that Paul is beginning to explain that the entire creation is part of this suffering reality, and it is inescapable. And one thing that he's saying here is that suffering is actually much bigger than you or me. Notice in verse 19, we see that all of creation is waiting. It's waiting with this eagerness, this longing, this expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. But not only is creation eager for this revealing of the sons of of God, but notice in verses 21 and 22, it also states that creation is, is longing to be set free from the bondage to corruption. Notice the metaphor that Paul uses, and he says that this is like the pains of childbirth, that all of creation is waiting and longing to see what's on the other side of the brokenness and the suffering of our world. All of creation is longing for this brokenness to end. And I know that all of us are longing for the brokenness in our world to end, that we long for the day in which death is no more. We long for the day in which broken marriages are no more. We long for the day in which all illnesses and viruses are no more, in which all uh, kinds and, and expressions of sin are no more. But it's not just us who are longing for that day. It's, it's all of creation that's groaning and yearning for God to make all things new. See, suffering is bigger than just you and me. And I think we need to be reminded of that, that though suffering feels personal, it's not only personal. I think that's part of the challenge when you go through suffering is is that it's easy to become self-obsessed. It's easy to become even self-focused where all of my thoughts are about me. All of my prayers, all of my plans, all of my fears are about me or my family and how we're going to get through suffering. And I think that's especially true, that temptation during this time of the coronavirus, that we're tempted to only think about ourselves. And at College Park, I've been so, so uh, impressed with how it is that you are responding uh, to this crisis, that our staff have been really overwhelmed with the amount of people who have emailed or texted us and said, hey, how can I help? How can I help meet other people's needs? And when you can think kind of outside of yourself, even in the midst of suffering, that is evidence that you are grounding yourself in the anchor of God's truth. And I just want to continue, I just want to encourage you to continue on with that mindset of thinking outside of yourself because suffering is bigger than just you and it's bigger than just me. But notice what Paul says here of why suffering is bigger than just you and just me. That suffering is bigger than us because it's actually part of God's sovereign unfolding plan. That the suffering that we experience is not just about us, it's about 
God and what he's up to. Look at verse 20 at what he says. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Notice who the him is referring to. In verse 20, it's referring to God. That God has subjected all of creation to futility. That, that God is actually behind it all. That God subjected all of creation to suffering in response to sin. The hardships and difficulties and sufferings are connected to a fallen and futile world. And all of it is within the parameters of God's rule and reign. I think this helps us understand that there's something bigger going on, even when you think about the specific kinds of suffering, like the coronavirus, that we live in a broken world that's filled with disease, it's filled with illnesses, it's filled with different kinds of viruses. But what this text is clear about is that God is sovereign over the suffering, that God is the one who is behind it all. And I think this helps anchor us into the truth of God, because knowing that God is sovereign over suffering means that there's no form of hardship or suffering that is random. There's no form of suffering that, that surprises God. There's no form of suffering that, that catches God off guard or, or happens by coincidence. There's nothing in this world that's operating outside of God's sovereign rule and reign. No, God is actually wielding all of suffering and submitting it in accordance to his divine purposes and his sovereign plan. Like you will never be anchored in the truth of God when you resist the sovereign hand of God in the midst of suffering. And we'll look at more on that topic even next week. So we see that even suffering is part of God's sovereign plan and purposes. Look at anchor truth number three with me in verse 23, that Paul in verses 19 through 22, after he has explained that all of creation is waiting with an eager longing for God to set all things new. Paul now transitions away from kind of the global picture or the macro picture into looking at individuals in verse 23. He shows us that anchor truth number three is that God uses suffering to teach us what to long for. Notice what this verse is saying about what suffering does inwardly to our own hearts. Now, what Paul is saying in verse 23 is that when we look at the condition of our world, and even if we look at the condition of our own lives, that because of the impact of sin, we are groaning inwardly and we are waiting eagerly for our adoption and our redemption. This is a really important anchor of truth, even in the midst of suffering. Because what Paul is saying here is that if you are a Christian, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, what that means is that you have been adopted into God's family on one hand, according to Romans 8.15, but on the other hand, you have not yet fully experienced the fullness of that adoption into God's family. See, what Paul is expressing here in verse 23 is the already but not yet tension that you and I experience on a daily basis. That on one hand, we have 
already been saved, but on the other hand, we have not yet been fully saved. That you and I still experience the effects and the presence of sin. In other words, we are still waiting for the final act in the drama of our redemption, one in which God will make everything new and one in which he will eradicate sin in us and in the world. But what you and I do, or more specifically, what you and I long for in the meantime, in this already but not yet tension, is really, really important. See, it's especially during the times of suffering and hardship where our longings for our real home, our final home in heaven, should actually intensify, should actually grow. See, when we look at the brokenness that's going on around our world, that should remind us that this is not our final home. And I'm sure you've said that or you've thought that, even looking at the impact of the coronavirus, or you've said something where this is not how it should be. And that's the, the groaning that's happening inwardly, where we look around at the brokenness of our world and we say, this is not our home. But one thing that I'm praying for you about is that this groaning, this understanding that this is not how it's supposed to be, would result in you actually yearning for God all the more. I'm praying that, that your desire for God and for your final home in heaven with Him would grow during this season. That you would set your mind not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. And so as we, as we think about how to live in this already but not yet tension, how, how to live in, in the midst of the coronavirus, I'm praying that, that you're not just wise and, and prepared and, and cautious, but you're also intentionally growing your longings and your desire for God to be with him forever and ever. That I'm praying that you don't miss this opportunity in the midst of suffering to grow your longings for God, to not miss him during this time. I think God uses suffering to teach us that, to teach us what we are to long for. That we should not put our hope in the things of this world, in finite things or our little kingdoms here on the earth. That we were made to be fully adopted, to be fully redeemed, and to be fully made new with God forever. So Anchor Truth shows us what God is teaching us in the midst of suffering. But Anchor Truth number four here, the last thing that I want to point out in verses 24 through 25, is that God supplies hope to fuel faithfulness. Notice in these last two verses of our passage that Paul uses the word hope five different times. In fact, he uses this word hope six times total in this passage. And Paul is, is ending this passage with hope because hope is, is so important in the midst of suffering. And the reason for that is because in the midst of suffering, there tends to be this gravitational pull towards fear and towards anxiety and towards frustration and towards confusion. And yet hope is really the only thing that can lift us out of that pit. In fact, we are hope-shaped creatures that you and I, we cannot live without hope. In fact, the way that you and I live now is completely controlled by what you and I believe about the future. 
And that's what makes suffering so hard because suffering often brings with it this fear of what will come next. That's why we need hope. So notice the way that Paul uses hope in these verses. He's using hope to talk about a a joyful expectation of a positive future. That what Paul has in mind here is the future fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. That's why he says in verse 24 that in this hope we are saved. That it's an assurance that something is happening in the future that is actually positive. That this is, this is not wishful thinking. This is an assurance based on who God actually is. And I think that's so important because one of the things that we experience during suffering is that our hope tends to leak out of our hearts. It's almost like hope is, is poking holes in a heart that's filled with hope. And, and yet over time, hope begins to leak out of our hearts. And so how does Paul help us in these couple of verses in talking about hope? Well, there are two aspects that I want to point out. First, notice that hope is actually grounded in the unchanging character of God. That Paul is intentionally wanting our hope to be placed not in things that are seen, but in things that are unseen. I think that we struggle with the idea of hope, especially in the midst of suffering, because we sometimes mistake hope to mean that if I see something, then I'm going to put my hope in it. Or if I can make sense of it, then I'll put my hope in it. And yet Christian hope sees things with a different set of eyes. That Christian hope is ultimately grounded in the unchanging character of God. That as Christians, we hope not in what our circumstances are telling us, but we hope because of who God actually is. And I find that particularly helpful during this time in which we live with the coronavirus and and the circumstances that we see. What what we see is is circumstances that uh, that are are filled with uncertainty. They're filled with, with just the unknown. They're even filled with fear. But Christian hope grounds itself in a God that is unmoving, in a God that is unchanging, and in a God that is completely faithful. That we ground our hope not in our circumstances or not in what society is saying, but we ground our our hope in a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That we ground ourselves in a trustworthy God who is strong enough to hold the weight of our hope. That Christian hope actually processes our current circumstances through the unchanging character of God. And the reason we do that is because our circumstances are constantly changing, and yet we have a God who is unchanging. The second thing that I want to point out about hope, and I'll, and I'll close with this, is that hope creates a faithful, patient waiting. Hope creates a faithful, patient waiting. I love the way that verse 25 ends when Paul says that we wait for it with patience. That patience is actually a a fruit of hope. It's something that the Spirit of God helps us with. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul says that, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope that you and I can wait patiently for God to come through with his promises because he's trustworthy, because he's true. Just to be honest, you and I, we, we don't have a lot of patience for things or people that we do not trust. In this particular season, I've been working from home a lot. And I'm working from home, and which means that my two little girls know that I'm home. And what they want to do right when I wake up is they want to play with me. They want to play all day. And I have to keep telling them, hey, I've got to work today. I, I'll stop eventually and I will play with you. But in the meantime, I need you to wait patiently. And for the most part, they, they've done a pretty good job with that. Now, there are, are moments in which uh, I'm working in, in our office at home and, and it kind of feels like that BBC interview where that guy is in his, his home office and he's conducting that interview and, and you see the, his little kids kind of in the background and, 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 and his wife is dragging the kids kind of out of that room. That's kind of how uh, the afternoon looks like in my household. But for the most part, my girls are, are, are waiting patiently for daddy to stop work and to play with them. And the reason for that is because they trust me. They, they know that when, I'm, when I say I'm done at five, that I'm done at five. And I think the same principle applies for us as Christians, that we wait patiently for God to give us everything that we need to live faithfully because our hope is in God. And the question that you and I have to wrestle with is, do we trust that God will keep his promises no matter how bad things get, that God will come through with what he has said, that God will give us the grace that we need, that your patient waiting reveals the depth of your trust and your hope in God. See, we are living in unprecedented times. And if you've noticed uh, what's the result of that has been that many people are beginning to ask really important questions. And for a lot of people, they're asking questions that maybe they've not asked in their entire life. And they're asking questions about what is true hope? What is the, the purpose of life? Where, where do I go after I die? And maybe you're listening to this and, and perhaps you've been asking those same kinds of questions and yet you have not settled in your heart and your mind where you're going to place your hope and where you're going to place your trust. Look, it's been our prayer and our hope that even as you're, you're listening to this, that you would be deeply convinced in your heart that God loves you, that God loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago to die on a cross to pay for your sins so that you can be forgiven. And that Jesus, he raised to life three days later and he offers you the free gift of eternal life so that you can have real hope and so that you can be forgiven. That God asks you to, to place your faith and to place your trust, to place your hope in him and in him alone and to turn from your sins. And if you have not made that decision, we just encourage you right where you are, if you're by yourself or if you're with family or friends, maybe in a living room, that you would stop and that you would cry out to God and that you would accept this free gift of eternal life. But this time in which we live in for us as Christians, I think is a time in which we need to deepen our hope and deepen our trust in God. 
And I, I encourage you, even as this service ends this morning, that you would take the opportunity to consider these four anchors of truth and that you would look through them and maybe ask yourself the question, which of these four anchors of truth did you need to be reminded of and why? And if you're by yourself, just to meditate on that question before the Lord, and maybe if you're with family or friends, just to ask each other that question about the four anchors of truth and, and where you need prayer right now. But church, I just wanted to encourage you with who our anchor of truth, of truth actually is, that it is God, and that God is the anchor of truth, and that we should use him right now in this time to stand firm. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you that we can rely upon it. God, we thank you that your word ultimately points us to the beauty and the glory of who you are. God, I thank you that you are the anchor to our souls that we desperately need. And Lord, I pray that during this time, Lord, that you would draw people to yourself. God, that you would even use this time as for us as Christians to deepen our trust and to deepen our hope in you, who is the unshakable God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.